Welcome to the Lion's Den with Seth, a podcast where progressive men and women can learn and teach each other the ways of the land. The Lion's Den is where royalty comes to counsel. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Seth. Oh, what's going on? What's going on? Welcome to another Lions Den, a nice episode. What's going on, Big Herm? How you feeling, brother? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I just had to, just in case somebody wanted to act funny style, you know, that I guess that's what we need to do. You understand what I'm saying? It's a good Sunday. What's going on, Herm? Man, there's a lot of crazy things happening, man. People getting their tail whooped Bro. on the dock side. Hey. Man. Hey. I guess it happens, right? I guess it happens. I guess it happens, man. Hey, people, you you hey, you can only push people so far. No, I, I just made you, I just wonder what made you think that it was okay to jump that dude right there on the dock. And you know what? It's, it's a funny question, man. Um, I think that some individuals feel as though, hey, after so long, you know, I mean, they're used to doing whatever, you know, they want to do. Without zero consequences, you understand. I, but what do you think, though? Man, I think that you know, what I'm saying it, it was a, some drunk folks. You mm-hmm. know, what I'm saying, and it just got out of hand with them. Yeah, you know, and they got exactly what they deserve. Now, I ain't with the wimp woman getting hit in the head with a chair and all that. But other than that, you know, I, I was cool with everything that happened. I just don't like to see women get hit by men. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Uh, I think the uh, the tension was high. Right. I think the tensions was was high. And and I mean, you think about it. There, there's a lot of, in my opinion, a lot of built up energy. Right. A lot mm-hmm. of built up passion, anger and everything. So it was like anyone of a certain hue could get it. You understand? So and and probably, man, I'm going to have to say this, man, if somebody wasn't looking long enough, they'd see you. They'd think that you was guilty, too. You get what I'm saying? Hey, so everybody was getting yeah. Yeah. yeah, everybody was getting it for real. But ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> welcome to another episode of Lions Den. Hopefully you hit the share button. What we do here is we talk about all things leadership, growth and development from in the household to out in the community. But with action, you understand, it's more than just having conversations about it. It's about what we're going to do about it. What are you going to do about it? So this week we have a episode on we have a topic about pain and hope. Herman, man, what do you think about that, man? How does that coincide with you? Man, I, you know, when I heard the name, mm-hmm. I, I immediately went to that old Negro hymn. Joy, pump it up, pump it up, and pain. Keep it going, keep it going. Sunshine and rain. You know what I'm saying? Because think about it. Hold on. Wait a minute. No, no. <laughs> wait, no, wait, wait, no, no, that ain't it. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know what I'm saying? Think about, think about it. You know what I'm saying? It's pain and hope, right? Yeah. You got to always remember that, you know what I'm saying? When you're going through something, you got to keep it in your mind that there's a way out of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because the minute that you feel like there's no hope, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's when people start ending stuff. Mm-hmm. So that song resonates with me, you know what I'm saying? Especially the way I 
I put it down. No, 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 but no, I get what you're trying to say. I get what you're trying to say, but uh, but ladies and gentlemen, I want y'all to really think about it this week, this evening, tonight. What it what does hope mean? to you. Think about it, right? We go through all types of things every day, right? Every minute, it all depends. But how do you deal with those things? Now, last week we had a conversation about being resilient, all right? And and what it looks like to be resilient and to bounce back from those things. But this week, we're going to talk about the pain and hope and how do you transition through that, what type of help do you get, you know, for that? And what does it look like? So I want everyone to uh, help us to bring in our guest, Miss uh, Therese McAllister, y'all. She's going to be on talking to us about that. And what does the book, Is My Lollipop in Heaven, mean? Y'all Y'all get ready for this show. It's going to be super dope. Y'all give it up for it. Yes, 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 yes. Are you doing, ma'am? Are you there? I am here. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, we can. We can. So, I ladies, have and- a little problem with my camera, but let's just go with it. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Go ahead, tear us up, Big Herm. Hey, so hey, Miss Tyrese. Um, I want to talk about that book straight up. Uh, the inspiration behind it, uh, why you wrote it, and what that book means for the people that that doesn't know what Is My Lollipop in Heaven is about. So Is My Lollipop in Heaven, it it is a children's book that really talks about the trauma of homicide through gun violence. Um, So it's a very short story, but it it starts with a little girl, eight-year-old Deja, who experienced a school shooting um, and her Mm. sister gets killed. Her sister is Ayana, but nicknamed Lollipop. Her parents take her to therapy. So there we're normalizing therapy um, for black and brown children. Um, and, it, and in therapy, she meets several other children. Uh, one child who has experienced a um, suicide um, of a loved one, uh, two twins, a set of twins who experienced um, a parent killing another parent, mm. a shooting um, and not returning home from a deployment, an accidental shooting, and also a grandfather who was trying to um, interrupt a robbery. Mm. Um, and so those, those are ways that our community have experienced homicides with gun violence. Um, and it's an opportunity to talk about it. Um, I'm a therapist, and so we want to make sure that children are having a way to process because it's happening in our community more often than I'm comfortable with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And and ladies and gentlemen, I didn't do her any good justice as far as introduction, y'all, because we was tied up trying to get everything situated for y'all. But ladies and gentlemen, like she said, she is a therapist and that book, uh, and it's so so outstanding, y'all. She talks about the uh, being a survivor right? Being a, a gun violence survivor. And she has a powerful voice being a black speaker and in the network as well with the black speakers network. But then her book is my lollipop in heaven. It's been a source of comfort and healing for so many, for, excuse me, for so many dealing with trauma y'all. And, and it's so important, but Mr. Reese, how about this? Could you really share with us what inspired you to write that book is my a lollipop in heaven and how it relates to your personal experiences. Absolutely. 
2017, my 18-year-old daughter was home from college on spring break. Um, she was hanging out with her sister, her roommate from college, who she had brought home to visit, and some friends. And she was killed. Um, I, I feel like it was an accidental shooting. I don't believe anybody was targeting her. Um, but that's just an unfortunate story that we hear over and over in our community that people, not just children, but people are being gunned down in the street because gun violence is so rampant. Um, and so when I, I tried to find a book to help our, you know, the children in my family, because I know as a therapist, children learn through social stories. When I could not find a book, uh, once I got myself together, I wrote a book. Mm -hmm. Got you. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's super deep. And then I want to I want to go right into the title of the show. Now, um, based off what you just said, we understand your pain. So what is your hope? You know, uh, when you wrote this book, what, what is your hope? What, what are you what are you uh, looking forward to after experiencing such, such a traumatic loss? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that I'm hoping is that we learn to we, we figure out ways to to put the guns down. I'm, I am a trauma clinician. And so I, I tell people all the time that violence is a trauma response. We have mm -hmm. community of young people who are traumatized by a variety of different things, including experiencing um, homicides of their own friends and family members, but some other things as well. And we're not addressing the trauma. We're not, you know, open for therapy um, or we're not doing the things we need to do to make sure that we can, you know, really take care of ourselves and heal. We're not prioritizing our own mental health. Um, and that's adults and children. One of the things that I tell people all the time, I live in, I grew up in a, I grew up in North New Jersey. I grew up in the eighties in the midst of a crack epidemic. I don't even know five homicide victims from my childhood. Um, and that's mm. when this had really become a thing. And here, my children, we're in the, we, uh, we live in the suburbs. Uh, my children were in college, right? Like they weren't, they weren't considered, they weren't what we would consider, you know, kids that were out there or in the game or in the life, you know, and they simply hanging out with their friends on spring break and somebody gets, um, you know, decides to, you know, spray a crowd of people going to a, um, a game and my, or going to dinner and my daughter gets killed. And so, you know, it, it's just a tragedy for us as a family, but this, we used to be able to say wrong place at the wrong time, but my child wasn't in the wrong place. She was in the community. She was doing what she was supposed to be doing, and um, she succumbed to gun violence. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you uh, for being so strong in, in losing you know, your, your daughter. And I know it's not, I can only imagine, excuse me, I will never say what I know. I can imagine that it's not easy. And shout out to everyone out there that's watching right now that has experienced lost in general. Okay. Uh, it, it's not easy. It is really not easy. However, what's important is to connect with uh, resources and individuals that can help you to, um, to see your way through that. Right. So let me ask you this. All right. Your book addresses uh, childhood trauma or just trauma actually, but um, what advice uh, can you give parents or caregivers on how to help their children cope with um, these types of experiences? 
Well, actually, while the book addresses, you know, homicide, gun violence and homicide, we really need to normalize mental health. We need to really prioritize our mental health. I'm a grandparent. I have a four-year-old grandson. And we, I talk to my grandson often about being able to, like, express his feelings, right? Talk about what's going on. Use his words um, to, de- to describe what he's feeling. Um, and that's just the beginning because he's four. But we need to normalize how people cope, right? Like the world is a rough place to live in. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what some bracket is. It, it is, you know, you, you're, we're exposed to a lot. And people, I would like to see people normalize, taking care of themselves and being able to express hurt and frustration and developing coping skills and gaining emotional intelligence. I think, um, and of course my older peers would agree, that young people really can't tolerate a lot of frustration. They can't handle the word no, right? Like there's some struggles here, um, which is only going to get worse as they grow up when they can't understand no, they don't know how to handle frustration or things like that. Like, you know, it's just, I mean, it is, we're in a terrible state. And if we don't get ahead of this, if we don't normalize getting help or, you know, being able to cope with, when things don't go our way, we gonna be in a lot more trouble mm. than we in right. Mm. So, so what do you attribute that to? That why our youngsters aren't aren't able to handle the word no or handle a lot of uh, adversities uh, today? And, and from your experience and your professional background, what do you see as the common trend with our youth? Um, they're spoiled, right? Um, and I'll, I'll they're spoiled. Um, you know, we we. Uh, I, and I, I'll be the first to admit, I grew up not having a lot. And so becoming middle class, I was able to give my children a lot, right? So that that's part of it, right? Like, I really, um, I wish parents, and not that I didn't do this because I did, we had a lot more experiences than we did get, right? My kids weren't, they weren't necessarily given very expensive things. Um, we we focused more on experiences as a family, um, but I see that other people, you know, they may have had children, you know, because I'm a therapist, you buying your kid two or $300 sneakers and they got S. Like, that should not be happening, mm-hmm. right? Like, they have, you know, <laughs> an iPhone. An iPhone is like, what, $1,200? Like, who does that, right? But this is this is where we are. And I think with stuff like the Kardashians, right? Um, my daughter, um, the one that, that um, is living, she got pregnant at 21 years old and she started talking to me about a, uh, a gender reveal. I'm like, sis, <laughs> like we, you pregnant, we going to accept that, but this is not like, mm. you know, yo, we got to like, I, let's, let's and be real about this. Gotcha. Right. Right. And I'm, oh, I'm grateful for my grandson. Don't get me wrong, but like mm. 21 living at home is not, we not partying over there. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I feel that. And I was waiting to see um, how that was going to, you know, what your answer was going to be, because I feel the same way. I really do believe that a lot of these children uh, today are being, I wouldn't say taught or led, but it's, they're being influenced easily and more uh, prominently by television versus us. And I believe a lot of that is because of the lack of um, support that we may have had 
you know, growing up in those time frames because it was just a different, you know, just a different time. And maybe it's the 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 family dynamics as well, right? Because it's not all generational. It could be family dynamics or, or meaning um, your your culture, right? So some individuals, they put certain things first before the entertainment. They put you know, school or whatever first, or taking care of the family, taking care of the family business first before trying to keep up with the Joneses. You get what I mean? And so I believe that um, that is uh, that is true on your end. I, I and and me and even on our end. What you think, her? Even on mine? What you think? Even even on my end. You know what yeah. I mean? I, do I spoil my kids? Yes, I do. And and do I catch mad attitude by them? on a daily you know All what right. i mean and it, and, it, and it just kills me i'm like dang i just dropped four hundred dollars on y'all like it ain't nothing mm-hmm. and this is the mouth i get you All know right. what i mean it's like it's it just blows my mind you know what i'm saying that that it gets like that and i and i you just want to jump in their head like what makes you get like this but at the end of the day it's us is it you think about it if you think about it, real talk it is us. I mean, because just because you see something on TV, that does not mean that's your life. You get what I mean? And so if they're gravitating towards that and we're perpetuating it, I mean, it's, you know, everything that's going on in the house for real. Us being an adults, everything that's going on in the house, real talk, man, that's being allowed. We it, are allowing. It is. But I also think that, you know what I'm saying, the, the cell phones change the game for a lot of parents out here. Even if your kid don't have a cell phone, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying? What's going to happen is they're going to get to the school where everybody's looking at all this different stuff. You know what oh, I mean? Right. Yeah. All, all this different stuff is getting filled into their head. Mm-hmm. So you really got to be extra, extra involved in what your kids is doing. Yes. Or they're going to get lost in that world because the world, their world is a whole lot bigger than ours was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you yeah. said, yeah, but you said something that made some sense. And Mr. Arisa, what you think about this? Herm said, that involvement. So what do you think? And also audience, please, I want y'all to chime in as well. What do you guys, what do you guys think about the involvement of parents now versus back then when we were younger, right? And we're talking about, you know, let's say early, let's say 80s, 70s uh, parents or individuals right now that raised up in that time frame. You know, what do you think? And Ms. Uh, Therese, what do you think about that? So I think, well, one, um, I wanted to also add this, um, social services wasn't involved, right? Mm. Like I didn't have an 800 number to call nobody when my mother was tearing my butt up. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's another issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because especially, and I know that some children do get abused and I don't want that ever. Right. However, many of us were disciplined with love and it was necessary. Um, and I know there are lots of parents who are afraid to discipline their children. I know several parents mm. who have had legal consequences because mm-hmm. they were disciplining their children. And that's really unfortunate. So that's another caveat. Um, as it relates to being able to, now my mother never came to anything. I was on color guard in high school um, all four years and she never made one game. Um, and that's because yeah. she had to work and as, as a wage worker. If she took off work, she would n- not get paid where I had a luxury of being a salary employee 
and a director where I made my own leave or my own schedule and was able to attend every single game. My daughter, my, my daughter played basketball, attend every single game. I also could afford to have her in multiple activities, right? Like, so she was a debutante. She played basketball. She played AAU ball. She played for the high school. You know, she, she was able to do um, much more because she also grew up in a two-parent household. You know what I mean? Like, so there were, there were, there, there were things that we were able to do, um, but I don't know if that makes the difference, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, not okay, and my mother never attended anything. Um, and she couldn't. Um, and so it's just, you know, and I, I do believe that all children are different. Not every ch- And I, I think that's one of the things is African-Americans. My daughters are only 13 months apart. And I had to come to the realization these are two very different children. Mm-hmm. One needed her tail tore up and the other one not really. Right. Like she, you would tell her, hey, I'm not happy with what you're doing. She'd be like, I'm going to stop. The other one's like, well, what you going to do about it? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just different. And even I look at my husband and his brother, um, they're a little bit further apart in age, but two very different children. And you could not have parented them the same. Somebody's going to lack. And so I think that's the thing that we um, always thought. I know I thought I needed to be fair um, for my kids, but it's, it's fair wouldn't be appropriate because what one needs, the other one didn't necessarily need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, ladies and gentlemen, I want to let y'all know where you're at right now. Uh, excuse me. You're here on the Lion Stand, and we're here with Miss Tyrese McAllister. Yep, yep, yep. And listen, y'all, we're talking about pain and we're talking about hope. We're talking about all of it. But here's something else that y'all probably didn't know, right? Not only do we have the privilege of having her on, but she has the experience of being a uh, therapist who has dedicated her career uh, to working with sex offenders. All right. This is certainly a challenge. Think about this. This is a challenging field. And it's hard to wrap my mind around it. I'm sure you guys may be dealing with this as well, right? And so we're eager to uh, to dive into that, Miss uh, Tyrese. So I want to ask this question, though. All right, could you start by telling us about your journey, okay, about your journey in becoming a therapist for sex offenders and, and what uh, motivated you to, you know, to try that or jump into that specialty? So to be honest with you, I had already had a degree in counselor psychology and, you know, we, we don't make a lot of money, um, contrary to popular belief, therapists, social workers, counselors, even psychologists don't make um, a lot of money. So I had a side hustle, you know, side work. Um, and I was working, somebody asked me to work with uh, sex offenders. I found that I was good at it. Um, and so then I pursued additional certification to do it and the reason well first of all I, I realized that treatment does work and not every therapist can work with a sex offender I also came to the realization that sex offenses happen out in the world way more often than we think way more mm. right it's the most underreported type of offense that there is um, so a lot of times the people are using drugs selling drugs robbing banks you know even out you know menacing um, it, you know, people will tell. See, if I get robbed, I'm going to report it. You know, somebody mm-hmm. takes my car, I'm going to report it. Um, sex offenses, not so much. A lot of times sex offenders are people who know their victims more often than not. Mm-hmm. So you do have, you know, the person who might rape a stranger, but oftentimes the sex 
offense occurs with somebody who is known or familiar with the person. And because it does such devastating um, things to a person's psyche when they are abused, I felt it was necessary to be able to, you know, continue and do this work, get as much knowledge as I could Mm. so that I could appropriately treat people. I am a firm believer that treatment does work for many people. It doesn't work for everybody, Mm -hmm. but it works for many people. Um, And what I do like about the sex offender treatment program, when people come out of prison with a sex offense in their background, it doesn't even have to be the offense they're in prison for, but if they have a sex offense in their background they have to go through sex offender treatment and it's mandated so it being mandated um you know i have a captive audience and so sometimes it is a little rough you know a lot of times people come in and they see a woman and they're like oh god they don't want to talk to me they assume i probably have children Mm. um they don't want to talk to me and it could be a little rough um but i think once they see that um you know, my approach is different, then they soften it up and then we can really get down to treatment and really some childhood, some childhood things and, and address, you know, some of the, the brokenness of why people do um, sexually mm. offend. Got you. Man, I remember, uh, remember, uh, we go back to the show a couple of times. We did a show with Pat, Project mm-hmm. Pat. Yeah. And he talked about um, young men who've been sexually assaulted, don't know how to handle it. And so they take it out on the streets. That's right. You know what I'm saying? Um, what, what do you think of that comment, that Ms. Tyrese? Uh, that- I think it happens a lot more. And, uh, and, and like I said, because it's underreported, mm-hmm. it's definitely underreported for boys and for, and for men. Right? Like they act like it doesn't happen. And, and this is the thing. Any type of trauma, whether it's homicide or whether somebody sexually assaulted you, when you don't deal with the trauma, it starts to deal with you. Um, and so, you know, I'm sort of one that's crusade, if you will, to get people to really start dealing with those things that really mess you up the rest of your life. And a lot of times people can recover in a way that they're still successful, right? Like they still, they may not be in the street menacing or acting out, um, but they don't have solid marriages. They don't have solid relationships. They go from job to job or they just angry all the time. They've been angry so long, they don't even know that there's a they, that they can experience joy, gotcha. right? And mm. so I see the hurt in the people, especially in my community. Like I'm certainly um, a therapist for anybody, um, but I still I have such a love for my community and, and understand um, the traumas that occur in our community. And even we can even talk about the generational and the uh, generational traumas, the racism traumas. Like it's so many things that happen in our community. I just want us to heal, right? Like healing is such a beautiful space to be in, um, you know, where you can overcome. And I heard y'all talk about resilience. And that's one of my um, things that I, I talk about often is resilience, you know, radically resilience, like being not just bouncing back, but bouncing back better than what, better than you were before the trauma, um, you know, occurred. Like, so Absolutely. I am, I am, I am, in, I am such a, a better clinician than I was before my daughter got killed. Like I have a, mm. a, a deeper understanding of this pain that I could, I could still be a good clinician before, but now that I've experienced this and walked this walk, my sensitivity to my client is different. I also several years ago went through a bout of a major depression. 
Um, and I thank God for that experience because when I came out of it, I knew that I was a better clinician because of my experience with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so, good. Uh, so yeah. here, want to touch on that a little bit, right? Um, seeing as that you you feel as though and, and you know as though that you're a better clinician, my question for you is um, how do you maintain your professionalism and emotional distance when dealing with such sensitive uh, cases? Well, it, de- it depends. Like sometimes there's no emotional distance, right? Sometimes my clients are in the session crying and I'm crying with them because guess what? I'm human, right? So I don't try to, um, you know, this is the thing that um, I think black people really got got it wrong. Like we try to be strong, and for what? Like, I don't want to be strong. I want to be human. And me crying don't mean I'm not strong. So, yeah, sometimes my clients are crying and I'm crying right along with them. Or, you know, I got my own stuff. I, I um, But I take care of my stuff, right? I'm a spiritual person. Um, I believe in putting things on the altar and having God take it from me uh, or asking what should I do with this pain, right? Like, I do gun violence work. Um, and that's what I'm doing with my pain of losing my daughter. Mm-hmm. I don't just like sit on it or lay with it, right? Like I, I work, I work through the pain um, and make sure, because it's not about my daughter. There's nothing I can do for my daughter at this point, but I'm trying to do things that other people's children aren't being killed. And so we got to learn to like experience what we experience and not avoid it, not run away from it, not, you know, call it what it is. Like some of this, you know, some of this stuff is painful. Mm. <laughs> like, you know, it hurts. Yeah, no. Um, and we got yeah. to learn to You know, even like with men, um, you know, men struggle with like crying. It's like, because we done mess boys up. Big mm-hmm. boys don't cry. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes you need to cry so you're not punching somebody in the face. Like if you cry, then you ain't got that pent up. And there are other ways, like I in my, in my treatment, I teach people how to cope and handle and deal so that you can feel right like it's okay to feel frustrated it's just you just don't got to punch people in the face because you're frustrated you ain't got to choke them out right yeah Yeah. you know a lot of our young boys are in trouble that's why they hostile and angry because nobody you know baby it's okay when you lose a friend well, you know, you got kids 14 years old. They done bury four or five friends. Like, that's not easy. Right. right. So, Ms. Tyrese, all yeah. right, as as a counselor and as a clinician, right, uh, mm-hmm. you have to take in a whole lot from all different directions, from people you don't know and pe- even people that you do know. How do you, how do you recharge? Where, where do you go? Because a lot of people out there that that's always somebody for someone. But you know what I'm saying? They feel like, man, but I don't have nobody to talk to. So what do you do in order to, you know what I'm saying, unwind and just be human? Good question. Um, therapy and, and spirituality, right? I pray, I worship. There's a lot that can be released in worship, right? Like I can do that all by myself. Um, I go to church. I hear the word. Um, I, I work on emotional intelligence, right? I'm intentional about it. I'm intentional about being in touch with how I'm feeling right now. I'm in, I'm in touch with how I feel and behave impact my grandson, my daughter, my husband, right? Like I'm in, I'm intentional with it. I'm intentional about my self care. I know how to say no, like, no, not, it's not a good day. I can't do it right now. Or setting boundaries. Right. And very good boundaries. And those are things like with emotional intelligence, like we don't work 
on enough, mm-hmm. right? Like we just kind of, we, we just kind of go through life, but we're not, you know, taking life seriously. Like how do I be able to cope? How do I deal with the, um, the homicide of a child? Mm-hmm. And I still got another child to raise and I'm, I'm supporting my daughter and raising my grandson. I can't just, you know, fold. I got other stuff that I'm assigned to. I think that's another thing too. I, I'm very clear about what my assignments are. And I also know how to mind my business. I don't let things attach themselves to me that ain't none of my business, right? Like a lot of people be like, well, what they doing? I'm like, I don't know. Like they don't got nothing to do with me. Even, and even my mother, she'll ask me questions about my 26 year old daughter. I'm like, my, she grown. I ain't followed up with that. Like she got to figure that out, right? Mm-hmm. And then if she asks me, I'm a helper or I'm going to, um, it depends. I'm not going to say I'm a helper. I'm a, I'm going to be available, but I'm not following behind her. Did you do this? Are you got, do you got this? Like I got my own assignment. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. She's now a mother and she has her assignment and she got to, she got to figure it out. And I also believe this is, and this goes back to the other question that I, that I see a lot of parents do. And I did not do this. I do not do this is sometimes you have to let your child experience the consequence of their behavior, good or bad. Mm-hmm. I don't interrupt. Like, so my kids knew as, at an early age, if you do something to go to jail, intentionally, you should have your bail money before you go. Because yep. I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you don't get to sell drugs and get out here fighting and then call me for bail money. Like, don't do it. Right? Like, don't fight. <laughs> right. Like, don't get out here, you know, and because my oldest daughter, you know, she was one of those brawlers. I'm like, baby. If you don't have your bail money put aside, well, I, I'll go get it and bring it to you, but I'm not coming to bail you out with my money because that's not what I want to do with my money. Right. And, and you know, my kids thought it was cruel, but I was like, nah, because you know better. You have the skills mm-hmm. to not do this. If you decide to do this, you don't get to draw me in to your mess. And so luckily we've never had to have, have that. But, you know, it's a conversation you should have. And, you know, even I've had friends to say, that's cool you wouldn't go get your kid. And I'm like, it's cool for her to be out here acting a fool when she's been raised better than that, embarrassing me, and then needing my money. Like, that's cruel. Don't do that. No, I get you. I get you. Yeah, and I mean, it's, you know, there's different um, parenting uh, tactics for sure, but uh, I am on the line of that, right? Because if you know the difference between right and wrong, um directly or indirectly you chose to you know yeah. do whatever it is and the, the fact is you're not mad that you're in trouble you're more mad that you got caught you know? and then and then also man hmm. how are they ever going to learn anything if i'm there to bail them out every time you know what i'm yeah. saying that's just going to lead to bigger problems if i'm always over there to just try to clean it up i don't let you sit in what you just did right because because they're going to expect that if you don't sit in what you just did next thing you know it's going to be something big that happened exactly. that i can't help you with exactly hey me won't right and and, and you know that i think i understand the old adage you know this is going to hurt me more than it hurt you you see what i'm saying because yeah. it could because it's like you're watching someone you've created essentially you know make a decision that could you know jeopardize their whole life you understand but hey, i want to say shout out to everybody that's watching right now big james what's going on James says the actions have consequences and they have to learn that. Absolutely. Hey, shout out to you too, B. 
big. Uh, Larry here from uh, Korea. He's uh, uh, visiting uh, for some time, man. So shout out to you, man. We had a good time uh, the other night, man. Always love hooking up with the fellas. Quincy, I see you out there. What's going on, brother? Uh, so, yeah, but uh, man, thank you again, though, Miss. Uh, Miss, I was getting ready to call you Sharice. <laughs> Excuse me. My fault. Miss okay. Mc, yeah, Miss McAllister. But look, I got another question for you because you deal with a lot of different people dealing with a lot of uh, different trauma. But do you mind sharing any success stories or instances where uh, you've uh, seen significant change and growth in a client? Yeah, so one of the other things that I do, and I'm really proud of this work, um, is a lot of my clients are police officers and first responders. Mm -hmm. um, and so I train police officers as well on mental illness. So not only how to um, deal with vulnerable populations in the community, but the softer skills that go with it, like emotional intelligence, de-escalation, active listening skills. Um, and in doing that, um, we, I've had a lot of police officers after training sign up and say, you know what, I do need some help. I should be talking to somebody um, and really have a, a huge difference. Like maybe, you know, because they have successful careers, they may, have, they may come to the realization that maybe the problems in their marriage were a result of them not really dealing with their stuff or dealing with, um, you know, even the community, right? Like being so angry and frustrated about the job and dealing with the community, like just have a better sense of other people's trauma and why people act out. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that really is like the latest success that I'm experiencing that treatment works. It just, you know, if people could get over themselves, you know, a lot of times we, and I think that's like one of my gifts is being able to break the stigma and normalize that we all struggle, right? And one, one day or another, mm -hmm. or at some point or another, and it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter if you're black or if you're white, um, it doesn't matter if you're a professional. I say my my um, therapy session or really my ministry in, in the world is from the, from the block to the boardroom, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter. I got clients who are um, CEOs and I got, you know, recovering thugs, right, that I treat and... Um, I think once people can buy into um, therapy, you know, and I'll tell people, you know, just humor me, just humor me, give me 30 days, give me, give me once a week for, for a month. And if you not feeling better, if you ain't, it, but you got to do what I'm talking to, you know, working with you on, if you're not feeling better, I'll give you all your money back. Oh. I'll give you your money back. I ain't got no problem with that. Cause I know if you work the stuff that I'm going to share with you, you, you're going to have some changes and you're going to feel better. And I've had clients to say, um, I should kick my own behind for not coming sooner, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, you know, it, treatment does work if you work it. And if people aren't afraid um, to heal, and that's, that's the thing. People, you know, either don't want to, you know, say that I have something's going on. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's so much better to, like, just jump in there and say it and get it treated than to live with it. And I think the fear sometimes is people don't think that it can change, but you, you can change how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Ahead, big girl. So on the flip side of that, has there been a time where you're like, man, you know, therapy really can't help this person is, is beyond that. What does that look like if that's even possible? What does that, what does that look like for you? 
if therapy can help them. Cannot. You feel like, man, this this person is beyond uh, therapy, or at least my brand of what I'm what I'm able to bring. Um, what what does that look like? If you ever experienced that, and and how do you how do you move forward with that person? Well, and a lot of times I have felt that way, um, especially with children, right? Like they mm. just not position where they can receive it or make the changes, right? Like they don't have the 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 support um, or the skills to be able to do it, and it's not my expertise, right? Like so, I'm not able to do it. Um, and so I will refer out, right? I, I have tried to um, not give up on anybody. Um, and because I'm a believer, I'm, as a Christian, I'm a believer that even if they're beyond my help, that they're not beyond um, God's help. And so it's oftentimes I pray for, you know, my clients, you know, they, they don't know I'm praying for them, but I, I, I believe that prayer is necessary. And so I find that, um, you know, I'm praying um, for my for my um for my clients i know that i had a client years ago um who got on my last nerve she was a 16 year old she just was not listening to be honest she got on my nerves however i ran into her she was about 20 something years old and she said that i had saved her life and i was like mm. really? I, I was shocked and she said yeah and she brought up a time that i had met with her well, she actually had considered suicide, but it was what I said to her that made her at least not go down that road. And I never knew that. Like, I didn't know even at the time I was working with her that suicide was even on the table for her. Um, but, you know, I just believe that um, as a believer, I cover myself, my family and my clients because those are my assignments. Right. Um, in prayer. Um, and that everybody is worthy of help and really just getting people to believe that. Um, for me, it's not so hard because it's in my private practice. Anyway, people are engaged with me because they want something. And so those are people who are usually who want to work on. They know they have something and they usually want to work on something. Mm-hmm. It's when I was doing emergency mental health and I'm dealing with, you know, out in a community and somebody else has called. Because, you know, a person is acting out or something like that, then it might be a little bit, you know, like they don't want help. But I just never give up on people because I've seen some I've seen some miracles. I've seen some people who, you know, have been written off by others Mm -hmm. and somebody says something and today is the day. Today is the day. And I know we often get that with substance abusers, right, with substance abusers are out here. And um, the families have given up on them, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, you done tried it. They done went back. They, you know, back and forth. But I've seen some I've seen some miracles. So I do believe in miracles. And I believe that people don't want to be in the bad shape they in. They just don't know what else to do. And sometimes the pain is so great. That's and right. I understand that that pain, like for me, losing a child like that, that is an unimaginable pain. Right. I just thank God that I had some and knew how to help myself because I don't know if I was an accountant, would I be in the same position, right? Like I wouldn't have the skills to know that I could recover from this. But because I was able, I had the skills, I knew how to like work through this. I don't know if that would have been the case if I was doing something. 
No, we get so, that. And, and I want to say thank you, though. Oh, go ahead, Big yeah, So, so, so one, one more question for me. Um, you know, a lot of us is not first in therapy and whatnot, but we deal with these people every day. You know what I'm saying? That been through trauma and whatnot. You know what I mean? Whether it's sexual abuse or come from drug addict parents. Uh, me personally, you know, I, I deal with kids that come from all kinds of backgrounds as a, a community center director. What advice can you give to people, you know what I'm saying, that has to, that, that deal with folks that are suffering through trauma? Because on one hand, I hear people say, hey, they're they going to have to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? On the other hand, you know, a tender touch. What advice would you give somebody that um, may come across people that is dealing with trauma? How, how, how do you advise we handle those folks? Well, you got to meet people where they are, right? At the end of the day, people don't want to be judged. People want to be respected. Um, and sometimes people just need their space and they need time. I just think um, the one thing that I've been able to do, even when I worked in the jail, is just respect people, right? Like just mm -hmm. be kind, et cetera, and be kind to people who ain't necessarily kind to me, right? Because I doing emergency mental health out in the community, I done been cussed out and still gave somebody the be absolute best service I could give them, right? I'd have been uninvited out somebody's house, which means they done told me to get the F out, right? And I'm still kind. I was still calling follow-up. Hey, I'm just checking on you, right? And I just think that a lot of times that's people's defense mechanism. Like, you're not going to help me, so let me just get you away from me. Right. I deal with that either sometime in the police department. Like they like, you don't get it. You don't understand. And I'm just I'm going to always extend you that kindness and I'm going to give you a lot of grace. Now, my husband says um, I give people a lot of excuses, mm -hmm. but I understand trauma and it really isn't an excuse. Like people are acting out because something that happened. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I get that. Um, in a in a very different way. Kids aren't born monsters, right? If you ask any five-year-old, four-year-old what they want to be when they grow up, they want to be amazing things. Nobody says, I want to grow up and be twerking on a pole. Nobody, you know, they're like, oh, when I'm, you know, when I'm an adult, I'm going to be selling drugs and killing the community, right? They want to be a, a police officer, right? want to be something amazing. And yeah. somebody wants to light out, right. right? Like it's abuse or trauma or neglect. Right. Or, you know, just not even having, you know, because it, it ain't always it ain't always a bad thing. Sometimes you could just be a parent that got to work two jobs. Right. Like you ain't there for your kid because you're trying to feed them. I, I can't be mad at a parent that's doing that. Right. But your kid might get exposed to some things, but it's a it, it's a condition of being poor. Right. It's not that you had a bad parent. You just had the conditions wasn't set up for you to get everything you needed. Right. Because some kids need more. Right. My mother worked all the time. I, I, I managed fine. I was the only child. I managed fine. But not every kid can manage being home alone and what that feels like. Right. Like, so we got to really meet people where they are. Um and, and try to meet the needs, right? Like another thing is you can't really help nobody if you don't meet their needs, right? I can talk to somebody about their mental health all day long, but if they hungry, they not hearing me, right? So I might have to feed the kid before I start talking about that, right? I might, they, they might be hug deficient, right? Their parents ain't home to hug them. Maybe their parents is using it, stealing from them, right? And they haven't had any physical touch, right? Except for to be harmed, mm -hmm. right? So, 
like being able to see that and give a kid that um, besides yelling and saying he's bad. The heck? No, hold on. No, 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 hold on. No, no, go ahead. You keep on going. To say, you know, the apple. I think we're having some technical difficulties. Well, I just got set up. (laughs) Yeah, man, I don't know what it was. But no, no, absolutely, ma'am. No, we heard you. We're hearing you. We was just having some video uh, issues going on, on on the background. So, but no, what I want to do, first of all, want to let everybody know who we had in the building, right? Miss Tyrese McAllister. Yes, getting it in here in the Lions Den. But it, well, look, man, look, we're getting ready to hit that time. Do you mind telling us where we can find you and, and find your book? Yes. If you go on to TyreseMcAllister.org, mm-hmm. Tyrese org. you can find all of my books because I have several. Okay. Um, right. mm-hmm. And or you can, um, if you're interested in um, being a client, if you're in the DMV, DC, Maryland, Washington, DC, Virginia, Maryland area, um, I'm licensed in all three states. Um, and you can find me at Clinical Forensic Associates.com. Okay. Clinical Forensic Associates.com. Oh, thank you so much. Hey, Herm, what you got, man, for your final word, brother? Hey, first and foremost, uh, you know, I want to thank Miss Tyrese McAllister for coming on and sharing her story with us and, you know, letting us know what pain and hope looks like. Uh, next thing I want to do is thank everybody that was watching today. You know, I you know, I see a few people, James, want to get married, Franklin, watch, watching my, my girl's camp, my boy Tripp. Trip Sanders, man, you you are a perfect example of pain and hope, man. I know what you're going through right now, and, you know, I'm always praying for you for recovery, brother. You know what I'm saying? And then also, you know, my, my father as well, you know, if you're watching, you know, just know that, you know, they're with you. But, yeah, I wanted to thank you for coming on and sharing your sharing your story with us, and hopefully we hear thank more from you. Absolutely. Thank you yeah, I appreciate you guys. Absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, again, this has been Alliance Den with Seth. And look, no matter what it is that you're going through right now, you're going through it for a reason. Sometimes people don't like to hear that. Like, no, why do I supposed to go through this? No, this hurts and this does this and that. But however, this is part of the process. You understand? It's part of the process. But I challenge you to surround yourself with individuals that can help you through it. All right. Swallow your pride. Sometimes you need to talk to someone that knows a little bit more than you on how navigating or how to navigate through this fog or whatever it is that you're going through right now. And everyone's journey is different. Okay. Everyone's journey is different. But I challenge you get the help that you need. All right. Because there is hope on the other side of that pain. But, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to see y'all soon. And be kind to each other. Right on? Right on. Right on. And Miss McAllister, you stand by, all right? Don't hang up. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Make sure to listen to the show on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, and Radio Public, where you can subscribe or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you like or dislike this episode, we'd appreciate your feedback on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Lionscast. Check out the book, 
The Black Collar Mindset, The Art of Strategic Thinking on Amazon or www.theblackcollarmindset.com. A manual to maneuver through life strategically by holding yourself accountable. Tune in next week for another episode of The Lion's Den with Seth.